The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network. Friends, here's why we are not retreating from the culture wars, not one inch. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, we're not backing down. We're not making excuses. We're not retreating. We are not cowering in a corner. We are going to continue to speak the truth in love. We are going to continue to confront what is wrong and crazy in our culture with the word and truth of God. We are going to continue to stand as your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Welcome to the broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted as always to be with you. Here's the number to call, 866 866- Three for truth. If you want to weigh in, discuss culture war issues with me. If you think I'm wrong about the church's involvement in the culture wars, if you think that this is politics, not gospel, by all means, give me a call 866-348-7884. Or if you have any question on any Bible theology subject that you want to discuss, we'll get to some calls later in the show. But if you want to call in, phone lines are open wide. Friends, this month are great emphasis, our thrust is let's get healthy. As the people of God, let's get healthy. We started Monday. I talked about my own journey to health going from 275 pounds to 180 pounds in less than eight months by radical transformation of my lifestyle, not by dieting, but by radically transforming the way I eat and live. And I've stayed with that with God's grace and help for eight and a half years now. So live the same way. If you missed the broadcast, go back to it Be sure to get our book, Breaking the Stronghold of Food, on our website. Go to store.askdrbrown.org and just click on special to find out more about the book and video offer. But we talked about physical health, and we'll be talking about it next next week, in fact. We're going to be introducing a new sponsor. I am super excited to share this with you. Some health supplements that could really be a blessing in your life. Our, Our goal is to see you whole and strong, thriving physically, mentally, emotionally, and above all, spiritually, right? But I I wanna focus on the spiritual health of the body. I wanna focus on our calling to be salt and light. I wanna focus on, on our calling to swim against the grain and tide of the world. Parents, please hear me. If you do not disciple your children, the world will do it. Let me say that again. If you do not disciple your children, the world will do it. And many Christian parents now are are absolutely shocked to find out that their 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds do not hold to the the values they were raised in. Why? Because the world did a better job of discipling their kids than the parents did. The parents had no idea about some of the junk they were getting on their cell phones. They had no idea about some of the influence of the TikTok videos. They had no idea about some of the pollution they were getting in school-related curricula and on and on. And even though they were seeking to be good parents and godly parents to bring their kids to church and so on, they didn't realize their kids were getting discipled day and night by other forces with other agendas and other values. And now they're wondering, what in the world do I do? I mean, we get the calls, we get the emails, we get the messages, we get the texts from from concerned parents saying, what do I do? My 15-year-old daughter now identifies as a boy and and wants to be on hormones and, and, and wants to get sex change surgery and won't even talk to me and be, because they think I'm being a bigot and hateful. Well, what do I do? 
and, and some, some are calling us with even worse situations. I was talking to a pastor in California a few years ago in a fine church. I mean, this church had a, a heart for the lost, thousands of members, had a heart to make disciples, seemed serious about the gospel. I came in and preached on holiness, and they welcomed my messages. In other words, it was not a, a compromised group of people. They were serious believers. But, but one of the pastors said to me, none of my adult children, and they were all adults, all of his kids were either late teens or in their early 20s, he said, none of them agree with me on homosexuality. What? Raised in the faith? Raised in the church? Raised in a godly environment? Yeah, but they had taken on the values of the world and the mindset of the world. And friends, we can never back down. We, we can never go in the closet over this. We can never say, well, that's not our battle to fight. Because if we don't, then the very kids that God has entrusted with us will be pulled away. Not only so, but our gospel message will be diluted. I have a book coming out next month. We'll tell you, excuse me, coming out early March, and we'll tell you about it next month on why so many Christians have left the faith. But one of the chapters in the book says this, if gay is good, Christianity is bad. In other words, there is a general perception in the society that, that gay is something to celebrate, that trans is something to celebrate. And because Christians don't hold their values, therefore Christians are the hateful ones. Christians are the bigots. The Bible is the bad book. God is the bad God. In other words, it's harder to even share the gospel with people because of a lot of the presuppositions of the society. And if, in fact, it is our calling to be salt and light, to be God's spokespeople in the earth, to be his prophetic messengers and that we take what is written in the word and declare it to the society around us. If we are not healthy and strong, if we are not vibrant, if we are not doing what God called us to do, then how can we possibly be faithful witnesses to the world? How can we po possibly push back the, the, the darkness? You say, well, it's just gonna get darker. That's inevitable. C can I ask you for the chapter and verse that says, as of today, as I speak to you in January 2023, it will only get worse. Can I just ask you for the chapter and the verse? Uh, what about 1 John 2 telling us that the true light is already shining? What about Romans 13 telling us that the night is almost over? In other words, you get these varied perspectives because we are in a war here, but the light of the gospel is shining on more people around the world than ever before in human history. And more people have come to faith in Jesus in the last 50 years than ever before in human history. More Muslims have turned from Islam to the gospel in the last 50 years than in, in probably all the centuries of Islam combined before that. More people around the world read the word of God and revere the word of God as God's word than any other time in human history. And at the same time, wickedness abounds in unprecedented ways because of internet and other means. Human depravity continues to increase in terms of the most bizarre things being manifest all around the world. There is a constant battle between light and darkness that will continue until Jesus comes. We're responsible for our generation. And if we don't speak and we don't act, then we'll create an impossible environment for the next generation or a very difficult environment. Do you want a generation where when your kids or your grandkids are raising their kids, that their kids could be taken away from them for the gospel? This happens in other countries. It does. Who's to say it can't happen here? I just saw an editorial by, by, by my friend Dennis Prager and he said something he never would have believed, but there are other countries where it's easier and better to raise your kids than here in America. 
meaning with, with righteous values and things like that. Others would say no surprise at all. But Dennis Prager, who's a forward thinker, also has had a lot of confidence in America. But he's saying there, there are other countries now where it's, it's safer and healthier to raise your kids than in America, something he didn't think he'd say. Let me give you an example from the UK. If we don't stand, if we don't speak, if we don't do what's right, something like this could happen in America. I've got an article. This is on our Ask Dr. Brown website, or if you have the app, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ASK Dear Brown Ministries. Right on the app, just read latest articles and you'll find it. The article's entitled, When Thinking a Prayer Became a Crime. That's the title of the article. When Thinking a Prayer Became a Crime. So uh, someone sends me a text with a link and it tells me a Christian pro-life leader in England was arrested not simply for standing in front of an abortion clinic. She was also arrested for the crime of praying while standing there, even though she was simply praying in her own head. You think, no, no, that didn't, that couldn't have happened. Come on, Dr. Brown, you're exaggerating. All right, here's the actual clip, the unedited clip of the arrest of Isabel Vaughn Spruce. She's the leader of the UK March for Life. Let's listen. Um, before I ask you any questions about what's going on today, I have to caution you, which is just your rights, which is you do not have to say anything. It may harm your defence if you do not mention one question. Something that you later on in court, anything you do send me to give you What are you here for today? Uh, physically, I'm just standing here. Okay. Why, why here of all places? I know you, you don't live nearby. But this is an abortion something. Okay, that's why I'm just here. Is, is you standing here part of the protest? No. I'm are not you, protesting. Are you, are you praying? I might be praying in my head. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you once more, will you voluntarily come with us now to the police station for me to ask you some questions about today and other days where there are allegations that you've broken public space of protection? Uh, if I've got a choice, then no. Okay, well then you're under arrest. I can't suspicion of failing to comply with the public spaces protection order, which is under the Antisocial Behaviour Crime and Policing Act 2014. Now, of course, you again, you don't have to say anything it may harm your defence if you do not mention one question, something which you later on in court, anything you do say may be given. Do you understand the caution? I do, yes. Um, your arrest is necessary in order for the prompt and effective investigation into the offence. What that means is so that I can ask you some questions and also to protect uh, vulnerable people, mainly service users in the clinic. Okay? Um, so we'll accompany us now to the police station. Uh, you get booked in front of a custody sergeant. And then if you want a solicitor, you can have a solicitor on the limit. Okay. Um, I don't tend to handcuff you, but obviously my, my colleague will search you because you're going to get into the police car and make sure you don't have anything that harm us or you can just okay. All right. Yeah, th this is beyond outrageous. If, if someone made this up in a Christian movie, this is happening in England, you say, come on, get a life. These things don't happen. Why exaggerate? This actually, were you, pro were you, pro why ask the woman if she's praying? Since when is it against the law to pray? Were you praying in your head? Well, I might have been in my head. Okay, you're going to be arrested. Here, listen, this is, this is what she said. I want to quote directly. Uh, oh, so in her, in her own words, it is abhorrently wrong that I was searched, arrested, interrogated by police, and charged simply for praying in the privacy of my own mind. Nobody should be criminalized for thinking and for praying in a public space in the UK. So there is a, a link to that. That was a video we played from Twitter. 
And there was someone else posted this. The woman in this video, Isabel Vaughn Spruce, was not arrested for silently praying. She was arrested for breaking a temporary public space protection order on four separate occasions, which was used to ban protests outside of an abortion clinic due to safety concerns. So here, just standing independently in front of the clinic, right, just um, outside it, safety concerns, utter nonsense. But her attorneys, the Alliance Defending Freedom in the UK, said absolutely not. There was no ordinance against her. She was not breaking an ordinance. And in fact, while she was being interrogated, they showed her pictures. Were you praying at this point? Were you praying at this point? And you're, were you praying silently? Friends, if we don't speak up here in America, the same thing could happen. You want that on you? You want to look at the next generation and say it's because we were too passive, we were too afraid, we were too concerned, we rocked the boat, we just wanted to talk about Jesus? You want that on you when your kids say, what were you doing when these laws were being passed? Friends, time to wake up. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. So we talk about the church's health in the midst of the culture wars. Going back to the situation in the UK where a pro-life leader was arrested for praying silently in front of an abortion clinic. Uh, here's what her attorneys say. While, whilst in the police station, Vaughn Spruce was shown pictures of herself outside the abortion facility. She said she could not recall from the pictures whether she was praying at these specific moments or whether she, these had been taken at times that she was distracted and thought about other things such as her lunch. She maintains that all her thoughts were equally peaceful and imperceptible and that none should be criminalized. Were you praying or were you thinking about something else? Who goes to jail for what they're thinking? This is incomprehensible. But friends, this is also what happens when the church is largely silent on the life and death issues of the day. The ADF of the UK stated, Isabel's experience should be deeply concerning to all those who believe that our hard-fought fundamental rights are worth protecting. It is truly astonishing that the law has granted local authorities such wide and unaccountable discretion that now even thoughts deemed, quote, wrong can lead to a humiliating arrest and a criminal charge. I, I wrote another article. It's on our website. This was posted December 27th. It's entitled, No, No, No. I will never accept this as normal. And I wrote this article to shout out again, we are being bombarded in so many ways in our culture. We are being bombarded day and night, be it media, be it social media, be it Hollywood, be TV, be it articles in newspapers and the way they're worded, whatever it is, we are being bombarded day and night and day and night and day and night in such a way as to indoctrinate us in such a way as to brainwash us. When I debated Professor Eric Small over 10 years ago on the question of should same-sex, quote, marriage be legal, and this was being debated in Florida at the time that it was illegal in Florida before the court overturned, Supreme Court overturned the votes of the people in many states of America. But... Uh, I, I said, you know, so you're going to have marriage ceremonies. And it wasn't a biblical debate. It was just a legal debate, a cultural debate. You're going to have, you're going to have 
uh, ceremonies, and I now pronounce you husband and husband or wife and wife, whatever. And Professor Small said, well, people get used to it. They'll get used to it. And the problem is you can get used to all kinds of things. You can get used to racism. You can get used to segregation. You can get used to slavery. You can get used to demonizing groups of people. You can get used to all kinds of things. The fact you can get used to it doesn't make it right. But, but here's what I, I wrote in this article. And again, it's, it's a pledge I'm renewing to you as listeners to the line of fire. By the grace of God, as long as I have breath, I will never accept as normal, and this is going to be graphic what I read, a sentence like this. Back in June... A group of women complained that Darren A.G. Miraja, 53, who identifies as female, allegedly exposed her penis at the Wee Spa in Los Angeles to them. Now, I, I, I'm not going to accept that sentence. A biological woman does not have the genitalia of a biological male. That's not how it works. There's a reason in the ultrasound. They say, that's a boy or that's a girl. There's a reason when the child is born, they say, that's a boy, that's a girl. So I'm, I'm not going to accept these concepts. I'm not going to accept nonsense talk about birthing persons instead of mothers. I'm not going to accept nonsense talk about men can menstruate too. And, and you say, well, why do you keep talking about it? Because every single day, one way or another, we're getting bombarded with this. You're reading a story. It's talking about one person, but it's they, them, because that's how the person identifies. And, and you know, you're reading about the, it's very rare for a woman to be executed, but there was just execution of a woman, a transgender woman. This is a man, this is a man as a man murdered someone, was found guilty of murdering someone, and now was, as a man, was now found guilty, sentenced to prison, and then a few years ago in prison, transitions, quote, to be a woman, and now, wow, it's rare to execute a woman. That was not a woman that was executed. It was a man that was executed for the crime of murder. <clears throat> Richard Levine, known as Rachel. Wow, first four-star at female admiral. He's not a female. Changing the name doesn't change your biology, doesn't change your genetics. And on and on it goes. <clears throat> Here the Daily Mail starts its story and says this, transgender pervert is arrested 15 months after she exposed herself to women and girls at the Wee Spa in, in L.A., triggering violent protests from Antifa goons who branded allegations of bigoted hoax. So Antifa was standing up for this man who exposed himself, who had previously was, was arrested for sex crimes. <clears throat> so the, the Daily Mail has no problem referring to, to him as a pervert, even using that strong language says that he was already a registered sex offender, calls him a convicted sex criminal. And the mail further reports that the story was then for months swept under the rug by the mainstream media, with many, including leftist radical group Antifa, defending Roger. But, but then it goes on to refer to her male private parts. Well, because that's how he identifies. He referred to him as she. No, no, this is madness. This is madness. Don't comply with it. Don't do it. There are ways around it, right? If I'm talking to someone, I'm just talking to them directly, and we're going back and forth. I don't have to refer to them with certain pronouns and things like that. But if I know this person is a biological male, I'm not going to refer to him as she. If I know this person is a biological female, I'm not going to refer to her as he or them or they. And uh, we can go on and on with the cultural madness I'm not going to accept 13-year-olds getting full mastectomies 
simply because they're confused about their gender identity. I'm not going to accept 10-year-olds getting now sterilized for life because they're confused about their, their sex. Uh, <clears throat> if I was an incoming student in a, in a school and was asked for my preferred gender pronoun, I'm not going to go along with that. Friends, we cannot accept these things as normal. And the more we just, well, this is the way it is, it's going to get more and more crazy. It's going to get more and more intense. And the very assault on biblical foundations will continue at an increased pace. One more point, then we're going to take some calls and then share with you some really interesting insights from a liberal professor who said, you know, years ago, decades ago, I denied there was any kind of liberal takeover, but I, I see what's happened in the society. Um, this article just posted today on the Ask Dr. Brown website. Again, read it on our app, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. A major scientific study confirms what we all knew. Men are different than women. <gasps> really? Are you serious? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so here, here's the deal. There was a major survey done, sponsored by the University of Cambridge, over 300,000 participants from around the world responded to online interviews, all right? And here's the revelation, okay? Here's a headline that was reported on Fortune.com. Women are more empathetic than men. Study of hundreds of thousands of people finds at any age and in any country in the world. <laughs> Is that a revelation? Did we not know? That? Do, do, are we not aware that, generally speaking, women are more empathetic than men? That's pretty self-evident. And women who are made to be mothers, and not every woman's going to be a mother, but women are the ones who can be mothers. There is a certain empathy that's in them, the one that carries the child within. They're wired certain ways. Men are wired certain ways. And that's why we're compatible as men and women coming together as one, because we, we, we complete each other. But what's interesting is this is reported, Nancy So reported on CNN, and nobody even blinked. Yes, very interesting. According to the study, women are more empathetic than men. Hang on, hang on. That means there's such a thing as women. <gasps> there's such a thing as men. What do you know? And it can be defined. Uh, unfortunately, when, when Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson was being interviewed for, for a Supreme Court uh, 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 nomination, and for appointment, and she's asked, what is a woman? She said, I can't answer that. Of course, my follow-up question to her would have been, are you a woman? Justice Jackson, or, or Judge Jackson, are you a woman? The whole not, well, is a woman, is a guy, you can't really define that. <clears throat> so so here's, it says we can define it, and everybody knows we can define it, right? And not only so, the survey confirms to us that there are real differences between women and men. So this is just reported without anybody saying, hey, stop the music here. T time out. Your whole ideology says, well, you can't really define a woman here, a man here that's being bigoted, that's being you know, binary, and that's being racist, and that's whatever it is. You can't do that. Those, those are artificial distinctions, and it's a matter of perception, and there's fluidity, and on and on and on and on. So... <clears throat> Here, this survey in great depth confirms what we all knew. And just for a moment, people were talking with a little sanity instead of saying, well, we don't really know what a male or female is. No, we do know what a male or female is. Now, I, I went online to check out the, the survey, right? And it, it's really quite interesting. So 
one of the questions is first is what is your age next what is your biological sex assigned at birth they got to buy into the language it was assigned at birth but they want to know the survey has no value to them unless they know what is your biological sex otherwise what's the use of a survey if my sex is whatever i perceive it to be right it's like we're you know we're doing a survey on the health of people above six feet and under six feet but height is whatever you perceive it to be know that it's of no use of course, they ask the question, you know, uh, what is your sex? Or, no, they can't ask that, right? So, so they, they have to ask, you know, what's your gender? And they give you choices, female, male, trans female, trans male, non-binary, other. I prefer not to say, I do not know. Well, I, I don't know what my gender is. I don't, there's even for what's your biological sex code assigned to birth, I don't know. You don't know? You don't know when you were born if you were told you're a boy or a girl? Seriously? But they had to ask the question about biological sex, because otherwise the survey has no meaning. Wake up to reality, friends. It's the world we're living in. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. 866-348-7884. May I encourage you, friends, do what you need to do. Do what's in your power to do to get physically healthy. Some it's out of your control, out of your power. You just trust in the mercy of God, and, and you do your best to get by, and, and you're struggling. And our hearts go out to you. We, we stand with you. All of us who've ever been sick, who've lost loved ones to sickness, who uh, live with people with chronic sickness and pain, these, these are weighty, weighty issues. And, and when you read through the New Testament, read through the whole Bible, you see consistently that God is on the side of health and healing, meaning that he's not against the medical profession. If medical profession is helping people get healthy, right? God's, God's promises good things to his people, and, and among them are healing and health. And, and sickness is, is nothing we'll be dealing with in, in the eternal kingdom. It's, it's a result of the fall of man. It's, it's part of this fallen world, just like death is part of this fallen world. And God graciously helps us in the midst of our sickness and pain. But there are many things, many things. In fact, the majority of sicknesses and illnesses that we deal with, on average, throughout America, the majority relate to diet and lifestyle. And if we radically changed our diets and lifestyles, we would see radical changes in our physical bodies. And, and friends, you know when you are healthier physically, you can do a lot more. Maybe you're a mom at home and you, you got the flu, you got a bad cold or migraine headaches or something and, and you're trying to homeschool your kids and you, you can't even think clearly, you know, and, and you're, you wanna be there for them, but you're, you're just, all you do is lay up in bed for a while. Or, or maybe you're, you're on the mission field and you've, you've, you've given your life to reach the lost, but, but you're in such back pain, you, you can't even move. You're in excruciating pain laying in bed and you, you can't reach the people you want to reach. So ob obviously we understand that sickness can be debilitating and even in it, God can work and his grace can be revealed. We understand that and we can learn more about him. He can work in any situation. But there's so much that's in our power. I, I don't mean this in insulting way. I'm going to go to the calls momentarily. 
I don't mean this in an insulting way. As, as someone that, that, that was heavy before, that was, that was obese, right? I mean, according to the charts, I was clearly obese. Even though I loved the Lord and was serious about God and running hard for the Lord. I, and again, I, I don't mean this in any insulting way. But let's say I developed back problems. My lower back hurt a lot. It was the result of being overweight. In my case, it was the result of being overweight. I remember a chiropractor telling me if I just lost 30 pounds, it would go away. And I probably gained 30 pounds after that rather than lost it. But, but if someone comes up for prayer and they're morbidly obese and they want prayer for their bad back, well, I'm going to pray for God's grace and for a miracle, but I, I also am pretty sure that if they lost a lot of that weight, a lot of those back problems would go away. Same with a lot of our heart disease, a lot of other things. It's, it's related to the, to the way we eat and live. So I just want to encourage you. I, I know it's uncomfortable and we can be embarrassing. But I just want to encourage you, especially through the anonymity of radio. You'd be driving in your car listening. No, no one's looking in right now or sitting there in your podcast. Please, for the glory of God, for your own sake, for the sake of those who love you, do what you can to make a change in your lifestyle. All right? 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Greg in North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how are you doing? Good to doing talk well. to you. I have a question about Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 1, of when it talks about the genealogy of Joseph back to Abraham, but specifically through David. I was just wondering, I thought that I remember somewhere, some way teaching that, uh, that there was um, also the, the lineage was drawn back from Mary back to David to you know because she actually gave birth to to Jesus and stuff and I'm not trying to put her on a throne or anything like that yeah. or, or you know but but I was just curious if there was something I Yeah so so according to that view which is my view by the way that Matthew 1 gives the genealogy through Joseph so this is the royal line this is the royal line through David Solomon etc and it's, it's showing you that Joseph would have been in that royal line and, and that, therefore, his son would have been in that royal line. Of course, he's more than Joseph's son. He's supernaturally the son of God. Uh, but that's, that's Matthew's genealogy, whereas Luke's genealogy, I believe you can make a good case that this is actually the genealogy of his mother, Mary, Miriam. Um, and here's when you go, it's in Luke 3. So, Greg, it's in Luke, the third chapter. And it begins okay. um, in verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years old, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat. And it goes all the way down. And then it, it runs through Nathan as opposed to through Solomon. All right. So there are, there are a few things in the genealogies which seem to be discrepancies that can pretty easily be resolved. But if this, in fact, was Miriam's genealogy, Mary's genealogy, then the way you would read it is, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, actually the son of Heli, the son of Matat. So it was supposed he was the son of Joseph, but he was really the son of Heli, which would have then been Miriam's father, Mary's father. So the first male going back, because you're, gonna, you're always going to trace the genealogy primarily through the male. Through right? the male, right. Yeah. So being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph... And then the son of Heli, because if, if you look in Matthew's genealogy, right, in Matthew, the first chapter, uh, so it, it tells us this about Joseph, right? Right. Uh, so Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. 
So here Jacob is the father of Joseph. In, in Luke, it's Heli is the father of Joseph. Now, some would say that means there was a leveret marriage. It meant that one of them, died. they were brothers. Jacob and Heli were brothers. One of them died without having a child, so the other then married the wife, and then the, the, the child that was born could either be traced to either of the brothers. But I don't, I don't think you have to go that way there. I don't think it's necessary. I think the, the right thing is to say, Jacob, the father of Joseph, that was his literal father in, in Matthew 1. And it was supposed that Jesus was the son of Joseph, but actually the son of Heli, in other words, Mary's father. And that's the right way to trace it. So, I, and that, that's a solution that some of the early church leaders held to as well. And it makes sense because he was physically descended from David. And you do have an example like in First Chronicles 2, where genealogy, where man has no son, so the genealogy is now traced through the daughter, right? In, in, in First Chronicles, the second chapter, I believe, verses 34 and 35. So that would be the way I see it here. In the same way, inheritance could come by way of the daughters if there were no sons, the daughters of Tzolofchad in Numbers 27 and Numbers 35. So, yeah, I, I see that he was literally of the physical seed of David through his mother Miriam, and was the son of God in that he had no earthly father. But his earthly father was Joseph, who would have been in the royal line. And that's, to me, the best way to understand these genealogies. Fascinating. All right, you got it. And if, if you need to dig more, more sources, volume four of my series in Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, I really dig deep into this, volume four of answering Jewish objections to Jesus. Hey, Greg, thank you very much for the question. Much appreciated. Uh, let us go to Jesse in Twin Cities, Minnesota. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Braun. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, so my question is about eschatology, and I just wanted to know where you stand on that issue or millennial kingdom i i don't know if you're more historic pre-millennial or if you're more dispensational or a combination of the two and i know i've heard you talk about the third temple and uh i'm just curious because i'm looking into this issue i kind of put it off for a while but now i'm kind of seeing like something i should look into so where yeah. do you stand on that so I am historic premillennial. I am absolutely not dispensationalist. I'm absolutely not amillennial. I'm absolutely not postmillennial. However, I do believe that on a certain level, we have to hold to these things with conviction and yet with grace. Because when we're talking about the future, it's always possible that there are verses that we, we struggle with or we're, we're not rightly interpreting. So the dispensational idea of a pre-trib rapture, I categorically reject. I don't believe anyone would ever come up with that, reading the Bible completely on their own with, with no further background. I don't believe anyone would come up with that. Uh, I don't believe it was ever taught systematically as it's taught in dispensationalism before the, the 1830s and after that. I'm absolutely not a dispensationalist, and there are other dispensational aspects of belief that I don't hold to. But it seems clear to me that there are literal promises about a physical kingdom on the earth that God will bring to completion. Acts 3, Peter says that Jesus will remain in heaven until the time of the restoration of all things spoken by the prophets. So they spoke of the restoration of the Jewish people back to the land. They spoke of 
the day that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas, but we're not yet in the eternal time. Uh, they speak of a time when all the nations will come up to, to the Lord in Jerusalem to worship, and there'll be punishment for those that don't. So again, we're not in the eternal kingdom. There's still death. There's still judgment. But these things will be fulfilled. I believe the sixfold reference to thousand years in Revelation, the 20th chapter, is telling that, that this is something literal that we can expect. Uh, I reject the amillennial view that the kingdom is only spiritual, the postmillennial view that the whole world will will come under the influence of the gospel and, and basically be Christian before Jesus returns. Yet I do believe that there are truths in each of these different systems. In other words, I, I do believe that the spiritual emphasis of the kingdom is an, is an important New Testament theme. I do believe that, that the gospel will spread throughout the whole earth before Jesus returns, and yet there'll still be wickedness and opposition. And I do believe that dispensationalists have done well to emphasize the promises to Israel and to remind people about the importance of the return of Jesus. But as I look at Scripture overall, and as I understand what the early church fathers held to, it would be the historical premillennial position. Okay, thanks. So just one last thing. Do you have any uh, book or resource that you think would be a good thing to dig into? Yes, sir. Uh, Craig Keener and I wrote it together, Professor Craig Keener, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. I think you'll find it helpful, good place to start. We do our best to be fair and gracious to those we differ with, but that'll lay out our beliefs clearly on this. Hey, Jesse, thank you for the call. We came back. Boy, this, uh, this liberal professor, retired professor of history at UCLA, says I was wrong. Yeah, got it wrong. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Let's just check the latest news to see, has there been a breakthrough in the House voting? Yeah, not at this point. The House of Representatives voting for Speaker Kevin McCarthy or someone else I really don't have any comment on it. I, I have no interest in a lot of political developments in terms of my focus and energy. I, I, I focus on them when they're impacting directly moral, cultural, spiritual issues and things like that. Otherwise, as you know, I'm not a political commentator. I'm not a political pundit. Uh, the media is not contacting me. Dr. Brown, what are your views on the, what's happening in the House? They'll contact me, secular the media, about other subjects where my expertise intersects. Obviously, it doesn't look good, right? You know, the, the division. Talk about a house. Here's got the House of Representatives. The house divided against itself won't, won't stand. You know, the nation's massively divided now. Division within the Republican Party. Is that the fruit of Trump's influence? Let's see where things land. Let's see where things land. Who do I want to be speaker? I have no idea who the best person is. I simply do not know. It's not my area of expertise. So what do I pray? Your will be done, Lord. Let me talk about an area where I do have some expertise. This is a, a pretty intense read. In other words, there's a lot of quotes in this. 
but I, I really encourage you to take the time to read my article, A Liberal Professor Admits to the Leftist Takeover of America. So it's on our website, AskDrBrown.org, or just on the app, ASK Dear Brown Ministries, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, you can read the latest articles there. It's titled, A Liberal Professor Admits to the Leftist Takeover of America. It was posted yesterday. So in the year 2000, Roger Kimball wrote this. The age of Aquarius did not end when the last electric guitar was unplugged at Woodstock. It lives on in our values and habits, in our tastes, pleasures, and aspirations. It lives on especially in our educational and cultural institutions and in the degraded pop culture that permeates our lives like a corrosive fog. Although sometimes tempted to ignore it, we are living in the aftermath of a momentous social and moral assault. So his book, 2000, was titled The Long March, How the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s Changed America. Then eight years later, 2008, he wrote Tenured Radicals, how politics has corrupted our higher education. 2016, writing in the Washington Post, Christopher Ingram said this, if you spent time in a college or university any time in the past quarter century, you probably aren't surprised to hear that professors have become strikingly more liberal. In 1990, according to survey data by the Higher Education Research Institute at UCLA, 42% of professors identified as liberal or far left. By 2014, that number had jumped to 60%. Then he continued, in the academy, liberals now outnumber conservatives by roughly five to one. Among the general public, on the other hand, conservatives are considerably more prevalent than liberals and have been for some time. So in the general public, you have more conservatives than liberals on average, but in the academia, they're, 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 academia, they're outnumbered by roughly five to one. John Shields wrote an article for National Affairs in 2018, 2018 titled The Disappearing Conservative Professor. And he said this, according to a 2018 study on faculty party affiliation by the National Association of Scholars, check this out, the ratio of Democrats to Republicans at Williams College is 132 to 1. At Swarthmore, it is 120 to 1. And at Bryn Mawr, it is 72 to 0. At many of America's best research universities, the ratios are only moderately better. And in my 2022 book, The Silencing of the Lambs, I quoted a 2020 survey by the Harvard Crimson, so the official publication of Harvard University, or one of their publications, found that conservatives make up just over 1% of the school's faculty. This is the bombardment that our young people are getting at universities. And it's not often, it's not just left, it's often radical left. So Russell Jacoby, uh, uh, I assume I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Russell Jacoby, professor emeritus at the Department of History, UCLA, so certainly a leftist university, admits that in the late 80s, quote, I argued that the conservatives should awake from their nightmare of radical scholars destroying America and relax. Academic revolutionaries preoccupied themselves with their careers and perks. If they made waves, they were confined to the campus pools. There you get these radicals, he's saying, but they're just making an impact on the campus itself. Don't worry about it. Conservatives, don't worry about it. He says, only now do I see I got something wrong, as did my critics. 
I missed something. The dawning takeover of the public sphere by campus denizens and lingo. So the article, December 19th, 2022, in the tablet is titled The Takeover. Self-righteous professors have spawned self-righteous students and unleashed them into the public square. And he, he says this about his generation, the generation of the 1960s. In Pose, we were much more radical than previous American intellectuals. We were the leftists, Maoists, Marxists, third worldists, anarchists, and protesters who regularly shut down the university in the name of the war in Vietnam or free speech or racial equality. Yet for all our university bashing, unlike earlier intellectuals, we never exited the campus. We settled in. We became graduate students, assistant professors, and finally, a few of us, leading figures and academic discipline. He continues, within 30 years, the timber and tone of the faculties were refreshed. In the 1950s, the number of public leftists teaching in American universities could be counted on two hands. By the 1980s, they filled airplanes and hotel conference rooms. In the 1980s, a three-volume survey of the new Marxist scholarship appeared. The Left Academy, Marxist Scholarship in American Campuses, volumes one through three. Endless new journals, each with their own followings, popped up, such as Studies on the Left, Radical Teacher, Radical America, Insurgent Sociologist, Radical Economist. In the coming years, leaders of the main scholarly organizations like the Modern Language Association or the American Sociological Association elected self-professed leftists. It's exactly what Professor Kimball talked about, Roger Kimball talked about. So Jacoby says, though, things get more entangled because... As these students are graduating, they can't get placed. These radical students are not getting placed in, in academia. And so what happens? He said it is the exodus from the universities that explains what is happening in the larger culture. The leftists who would have vanished as assistant professors in conferences on narratology, excuse me, narratology and gender fluidity or disappeared as law professors with unreadable essays on misogynist hegemony and intersectionality have been pushed down to the larger culture. In other words, the people with these radical ideas didn't just stay in the university. They're just now throughout the whole culture influencing what your kids are learning in elementary school and, and, and the, the language that newspapers are using when reporting things. It just trickle down. He says this, they staff the ballooning diversity and inclusion commissar commissariats that assault us with vapid statements and inane programs couched in the language they learned in school. We are witnessing the invasion of the public square by the campus, an intrusion of academic terms and sensibilities that has leaked the ivory-covered walls aided by social media. The buzzwords of the campus, diversity, inclusion, microaggression, power differential, white privilege, group safety, have become the buzzwords in public life. Already confusing on campus, they become noxious off campus. The slovenliness of our language, declared Orwell in his classic 1946 essay, Politics in the English Language, makes it easier for us to have foolish thoughts. And then Jacoby writes this. When women are dropped, the, the term women, from Planned Parenthood literature with the explanation, it's time to retire the terms women's health care and a woman's right to choose. These phrases erase the trans and non-binary people who have abortions. Or when the NARL, National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws, announces it is replacing the phrase pregnant women with, quote, birthing people and declares, we use gender-neutral language, gender language when talking about the pregnancy, but because it is not just cisgender women who get pregnant. 
Jacoby says, we know those who authored these changes majored in gender studies and critical blather. And he says this, Jacoby says this, because those who are most loudly championing concepts of diversity and inclusion have become the most hateful and bigoted. He says that the, the students of these radical professors constitute an unmitigated disaster intellectually and politically as they enter the workforce. They might be the American version of the old Soviet apparatchiks, functionaries who carry out party policies. Intellectually, they fetishize buzzwords, diversity, marginality, power differential, white privilege, group safety, hegemony, gender fluid, and the rest. And they plaster, and that they plaster over everything. <clears throat> All right. Professor Jacoby is absolutely right. This madness is the result of basically the leftists, the radical leftists take over of so many universities. And then those they influence, those they taught, instead of just being in a little circle and preaching to the choir with their bizarre and esoteric and unreal ideas and often anti-Christian, anti-biblical ideas, now they've just been flushed out into the larger world in which we live. And these radical, extreme leftists, many of the Marxist ideas have just become the mainstream thought of the culture. This is why we won't back down, friends. This is why we won't shut up. This is why we are here for you, to be your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Tune in every day, friends, and you will be pointed in the right direction, the direction of the truth of the unchangeable God. Another program powered by the Truth Network.